Um, we've got three parts to the reading today, um, starting with uh, from the book of Ezra, chapter 1, 1 to 7, and then we move on to chapter 7, 6 to 10, and the final reading will be from uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 2, 1 to 6. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build, a, build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God, that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. All who were, with, all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. We now move over to chapter 7, reading from 6 to 10. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And there went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. For on the day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and, rulers and rules in Israel. The final part of the reading is from taken from Nehemiah, chapter 2, reading from 1 to 6. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of the king of Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I, had, now I, not had, sorry, now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, 
Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the places of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, Why are you What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. That's about it, I think. Yeah. Oh, just one more. I've missed that one. Shall I continue? Yeah, sorry. Um, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Yep, and that ends the reading. So yes, uh, we're going to look at uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, together over the next sort of month or two. Um, Coraline and I uh, did a renovation on our house sort of last year, year before. It took us about 12 months, sort of 2014 into 2015. And so uh, there's a bit of a process leading up to this uh, discussion around... Um, what we might want to do, um, why we would want to do it. Um, me, being an architect in a former life, um, sort of came up with a bit of a, a, a plan uh, and a vision for uh, what this might look like and how we could change things around. Uh, Coraline always, uh, she's uh, the practical one in our, li in our marriage, in our lives, that's probably true. Um, and she, she always keeps saying, well, what does it look like? I need to know what it looks like. Show me how it works. Take me to the room and sort of step it out and mask it out because otherwise I just can't picture uh, what it's supposed to be. And so as this, uh, this started to, to work, uh, we spoke to Ken, who um, uh, architect as well, drew, drew up the plans for us and he actually made it all fit together and work and so that we could put in these plans and drawings to, um, to the council and get permits. Uh, then we uh, employed the services of Robbo the Builder, um, Rob J. Van Constructions, who came in and uh, worked me to the bone as his labourer, and uh, he came in and uh, helped us work. I engaged my boys in demoing and uh, smashing up things, pulling up things. Coraline and I uh, painted, chose things, made colours, uh, consulted with people about uh, different things as well. You may relate to that if you've done a reno before. Uh, but we all know that it's, uh, if you've done it before, it's not, it's not necessarily an easy journey. Uh, it's messy, it's dirty, it's hard work. Uh, but at the same time, it's sort of, there's an excitement. I, when we did our renovation, we uh, got to the point where we completed room by room. And it was almost like each time a room got done, there was sort of joy and excitement about that, that it was, oh, that's actually what it was meant to be, and it's sort of working the way uh, it, it's meant to be as well. The boys had to move out of their rooms and move into the lounge. We had so much dust running through the house. 
Uh, even when it was done, we would uh, revert to old ways. We put an ensuite in our in our bedroom, so uh, I remember still getting up at night and walking out to the old toilet rather than just oh, I can still go in there. So it was sort of a changing of uh, practices again to suit in all this as well. Um, and I think it's interesting. So I'm, we're talking building uh, Ezra Nehemiah, sort of this idea of rebuilding. And uh, what we get through the Bible is this idea of building and rebuilding is a metaphor, uh, a word picture that God gives his church to help us understand who he is and who we are as his people and how we are to work uh, as his people. Uh, you might be familiar with uh, some of the terminology that God refers to himself as the architect and builder uh, of his church. Uh, he is the one he uh, it talks about uh, then appointing people, elders, overseers, apostles, leaders, teachers, to have, uh, what is it, the living temple be built. He has uh, a vision to see his people grow, to see his people flourish, to see uh, his church become all that he wants it to be. And that's pretty well, he wants it to look like him. He wants his church to be built up, to be like Jesus. He has a vision that we would one day look like Jesus, not just as individuals, but collectively as each part does its work that it would grow and build itself up to its head like Jesus and be like Jesus. And he teaches, he equips, he empowers his church to be all that he wants it to be so that he will be displayed to the world. Remember that verse about Jesus, that he was the exact representation of God? Well, then it goes forward, if the church is to be like Jesus and to be Jesus, we are to be the exact representation of God to each other and to the world. And that's the vision that God's building for us. Last week, we began to communicate a little bit um, that church council has, has been working um, um, together with the church and we've been talking about this vision and purpose rebuild around this phrase moving people in following christ uh, sort of discipleship it's so it's helping people and we as the purpose of us as a church is not just to do a whole lot of stuff it's actually to see people moving and becoming more like jesus to have new people encounter jesus and see them growing to become like jesus so that they can disciple others and help others become like jesus and we've been asking people how are you doing that? Who are the people that God has called you to as individuals to disciple, to move, to help grow? And we're asking the question, who is helping you become more like Jesus um, as we work together to have God's vision lived out uh, for us as a church? We said that that's been uh, rebuilt on our church's vision, isn't it? that uh, we had this vision that God planted on us many, many years ago to be a community growing closer to God, to be a community that uh, shares Jesus Christ uh, and extends his kingdom, brings impact. And we see that God's rebuilding us. And he's saying, uh, we get the sense that he's saying, uh, remember church, that's people, not programs and stuff. It's all, how are the people, how are you growing? How are new people growing and becoming uh, like this? 
So uh, for the next month or two, we're going to uh, travel through uh, the book of Ezra or the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and we're encouraging you to read these books um, over the coming months to get. Uh, we found it helpful as a church council as we were reading through this. There's principles that we get out of these books that we think are gonna, is going to help us uh, as we rebuild uh, the vision and, and realign our vision uh, to that which God has laid on our hearts. And so uh, the principles here um, uh, uh, will be unpacked over the coming sort of five or so weeks. This week's one that I, I want to focus a little bit on is uh, leading the vision rebuild. How does, the, the, how does it actually begin? Where does the vision come from? Who leads it? Uh, and, and start to work out how that actually manifests itself in our midst. So it's good for you to know, I gave uh, Lee on those passages just to get you a bit of a picture of uh, some of the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and we're sort of going to talk about the books generally rather than sort of pick specific passages. We're going to look at the pr principles that come uh, out of these books. So just to give you an idea of what uh, the, the, the case again, the people of Israel are in exile, so they're slaves in Babylon. Uh, Jerusalem is in ruins. The temple has been destroyed. Uh, and God has uh, prophesied through, the, um, through Jeremiah that the, the Israelites are going to be in exile, in captivity for 70 years. We now come where this book written is the end of the 70 years. And so now God's sort of saying, I'm going to fulfill my plan. My plan is to save uh, my people and for me and my people to be living together. And the next part is that I want to regather my people in Jerusalem around me and uh, the temple and uh, with each other. And so God's vision that comes out of this is to gather his people together again uh, in Jerusalem with the temple. Uh, God's plan is to have his people living the way he intended uh, around him uh, and his law, reminding them constantly, because that's what the temple did, reminded them constantly of the presence of God in their midst, reminded them constantly who God was and uh, who they were because of him. And so it's interesting, isn't it? Because who does he lay this vision on? You get that? That first passage that Leon read, I think it's quite bizarre. He lays this vision on King Cyrus. And when you read that at first, you think, oh, he must be a Christian king. He wasn't a Christian king. He was a pagan king. And often what these kings would do is try and uh, keep the people happy by uh, meeting the needs of their religions. And so they would build temples of their different um, religions that were expressed in their in their. Uh, care and stuff like that. And that God uses uh, a pagan king <laughs> to begin the work of rebuilding his vision. And then he lays it on people like Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, others as we go through uh, to have that happen. So what we're reminded here of is that this is God's vision. This is God's vision for his people to see them living with him uh, under his care, in his protection, the way he intended and he had promised that from the beginning of time when it all started to go awry right through uh, to the end of time as well. And as we go through Ezra and Nehemiah, we start to see uh, some of these leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah and Jeshua and others that are in this mix. One of the things that we start to see is that they are leaders who are passionately dependent on God. 
There's lots of prayer and fasting and seeking God, saying, what do you want for your church? What do you want for your people? How do you want us to get there? Um, and we see that as he raises up this, stirs in the heart of his leaders, uh, the vision uh, is uh, brought to the people. And the people uh, engage with that as well as they begin to pray and fast and begin the action of actually uh, implementing this as well. And we see that these, this vision is laid on the hearts of uh, people, uh, leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah, but family heads, you read some of that as well, the families, were the, the vision was laid on their hearts and they began to see it, they began to press into God and say, let's do this together because we know that when we do this, it starts to display God to the world. The nations around us know that there, uh, there is a living God amongst us as we begin to live together, God with his people. And so how do they do that? Um, they begin to build the temple in the city. So they go back through Ezra and Nehemiah and they go back to Jerusalem and the first thing that they do is they build the temple. And they build the temple because that signifies God's presence with his people. They uh, then uh, uh, also come back and establish the people of God, build the walls again, a place where God and his people live together. Uh, and God at the centre of his people, then focused on him. And it's interesting as you read through the book, straight away, as soon as that happens, uh, we're going to deal with this later on, opposition arises. Um, the voices come against it and people try and stop it happening. And straight away, as people get on God's vision, uh, voices and things and people and situations uh, start to fight against it. But God says, it's my vision and nothing's going to stand against it to be uh, done. So in the end, what happens is the people move into the city and one of the big themes that come out is that they rediscover the Word of God. Ezra is the one who is trained in the Word of God. Uh, he reads the Word of God with them regularly, daily, and they began to see this is how we're supposed to live with God. This is how we're supposed to live with each other. And they rediscover what love looks like, uh, them loving God, them uh, loving each other. So I hope what you're doing as I'm speaking about this I'm not just giving you a history lesson. That's not why I'm telling you this. Why am, I, why am I even talking about this? It's because these words are for us. And I hope you're, you, you, you're not just, oh, there's a history. Now you think, oh, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to One Hope Church? Do I see that here? Do I see that in my life? How does that work out here? If these are principles that we can see uh, in, in the Bible and what we're going to see is they're principles that are not just found in Ezra and Nehemiah, they're found right the way through the Bible. And in particular, I think it's the same principles that we actually see in the New Testament. And if you go into the New Testament, we get this picture. What do we get the picture of the churches? It's the living temple. Why is it the living temple? It's because God resides at its heart. And so we remember what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? The Holy Spirit comes and lives within the people. It's at the center. Jesus' spirit, Jesus' spirit comes into us and lives at the center, at the heart of who we are. And so God's vision for the New Testament church is slightly changed, isn't it? It's still part of this big, big picture vision 
which is the big picture vision is that God is saving his people uh, and to, wants to restore them to living perfectly with him. And we get the Old Testament picture of that and now we head into the New Testament and it starts to change slightly. And so as we look in the, the New Testament, when we see Jesus come and we see that the Messiah has come and begins to institute the next part of this visionary plan to save his people, uh, things start to change a little bit. So the vision now is God and his people. Uh, I'll go to the next slide. The vision uh, is now God and his people not gathering together. Get the different picture? Now it's actually they're sent out together. And the whole story is that God and his people now go out to the Gentiles, to those who, to the ends of the earth, to make disciples, to see people living with Christ, to see people encounter him, to see his kingdom come. The vision that uh, he's given, uh, or this vision to go out, is given to who? Jesus pulls together 12 blokes and he spends 80% of the three years of his ministry with those 12 blokes as he imparts the vision on them and not just teaches them, not just talks about them, but shows them how to live out this vision. And those leaders, what do they do when Jesus ascends and they receive? They go out and they raise up other leaders and they appoint other leaders and they begin churches and they begin communities and they are, are, are implementers of this vision as what do they do? They live it out with others who will then live it out with others who will then live it out with others as we see disciples or followers of Jesus making other followers of Jesus. And what do we see? The Holy Spirit, which is the representation of the Spirit of God. Think of the Old Testament picture of fire and, 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 and um, the things that were happening in the temple. Uh, we can also see uh, through the Holy Spirit living in us. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes on uh, his church. The Holy Spirit's one. Remember what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us to remind us what he has said to remind us how he has lived, to not only remind us, but to empower us to live that way. And so this church uh, begins to build around this vision. And the vision that if you think that we've been focusing on, the Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is I want you, what does he say? Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And what does he say? I'm with you always. This is the vision for his church, to go out, to see new disciples come in, to see the disciples flourish. To why? Because his church then displays his glory to the world. And he gathers his people together, God and his people living together as they engage with the world. And what's the other big focus that comes through the New Testament is that it revolves around the word. They obey the word. And how does Jesus sum up the word? Love God and love one another. That's what I want you to focus on. And that's what I've showed you how to live. And when Jesus comes, he's the incarnation, which means God with flesh. I will show you what this looks like. So I want you, church, my people, to look like me. Because you are God with flesh on. You need to represent me to the world. And he says, not only that you need to do that, he says, I will do it in you. I will give you my spirit that will give you fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I will give you gifts that will enable you to serve one another 
and serve the world so that you will display me to this world and then I will receive glory and people will encounter me. And particularly that last one has been resonating in my bit, in my head a bit. This whole idea of loving one another and loving one another deeply. Because it's interesting, because remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, it is by your love that they will know that you are my disciples. It's by the way you love one another. So he's talking about the way you love each other. It's by that love that they will know that you are my disciples. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. It's not by what we preach. It's not by the programs that we put together. It's not about how much funny money we raise up. It's not by the ministries that we do. It's not by the stuff that we do. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, no, it's by your love for one another that the world will see who I am. As you look more like me and as you express that to one another, people will see me. And remember what he says when people saw the, saw the early church? They said, what's going on here? There's a supernatural work. What happened when the people worshipped together and they focused and praised God and people came into their midst? What did Paul say? People would come into your midst and say, what is this? The living God is amongst us. That's how they will know what God, who God is and see him in the flesh. <laughs> so people will see God, encounter God, by the way we think, speak, act, each day. As we're followers of Jesus and seeking to become more like him, as we're asking the Holy Spirit to make us more become like him, this vision... <laughs> of his people displaying his glory in the world gets lived out. And so we, uh, as leadership, have been fixed on this vision of moving people and following Christ. And we believe that God, uh, through, um, through his spirit, through prayer, fasting, through conversations with people, that God has laid this vision on us as leadership. We have been praying, we have been fasting, we have been seeking God to work in his church. I probably prayed more for you as a church in the last six months than I probably have in the last six, oh, six years. That's a bit of exaggeration. But no, it, it, it really has heightened this idea that, that God is going to do this in our church and we want him to do this in our church. We want to see uh, disciples here flourishing. We want to see new people uh, becoming uh, followers of Jesus, not for our church, but for his glory and for him to be displayed in and through us. And we, uh, as a leadership, want to be committed to um, teaching, reminding, protecting, empowering us together to do that, to keep us on track, to keep that vision uh, centre, to continue to not only us, but we together to inspire us to pray, to fast, to work together, to see people grow. Uh, I've used this image lots around and it comes from a book um, 
and I've forgotten the name of the authors, but the title of the book is called The Trellis and the Vine. If you've been around me, I would have talked about this. Uh, the, the, this guy has a picture in his backyard. There are two uh, trellises, which you have vines growing on. One is a, an amazing, ornate, beautiful, fantastic that, um, trellis that some carpenter has spent years and years tweaking and developing and, and making it look amazing. And then there's this half-dead vine that's sort of growing over the top of it. On the other side is a trellis that's made up of about six bits of wood that came probably off hard rubbish and it's sort of stacked up and it's wonky and it's leany. And then over this is an amazing, scent, uh, an amazing vine that is just flourishing and, and, and um, growing. And it's a picture that we're into vine growth, not trellis building. And that's, I think, sometimes what we fall into the habit. And I know that I've fallen into the habit of spending all my time on trellis work rather than on vine growth. We, bring the, we believe that God has brought this vision to us as a church to get us focused on vine growth and to see us flourish as a church. And that's not to say, you get the point, it's not to say that we don't need structures and we don't need programs and we don't need, we need that that's going to be still part of who we are. But it's not the purpose, it's not the point of what we're doing. We'll need that to support uh, the vine growth. I'll just finish up with this. Uh, uh, oh yeah, no, sorry, before I do that, uh, the listening and leading thing. What happens as this vision is put on uh, the leaders of the church, the apostles and stuff, um, you get it in Ezra and Nehemiah, but you get it also in the New Testament. As the, as the leaders are, are leading and stuff like that, often the people come to them and say, uh, so in Ezra and Nehemiah, they're saying, we're actually starting to get attacked. Uh, you know, the enemies are coming to get us and they're stopping us working. And so the leadership listen to the people and then they react uh, or they work with that and they put things in place to, to make that happen. Or in the New Testament, think of the New Testament when uh, the apostles are going out, um, people come to them and say, uh, some of our widows are not being looked after and we need to... And so um, they say, to, oh, okay, let's uh, lead in that. We will appoint um, deacons for that to care over that so that we can continue on with the word and prayer. And I think we want to be a leadership, and we've talked about this at church council, that does that, that listens and leads, that we have that tension and, and balance together as a people. We want to um, work together as we believe that God's called us to lead in this church, but also to listen and engage and empower uh, this church. So um, what does this look like if we go to the last side? Now, this is, uh, I'm calling it, this is the plan. I, I threw this up last week. Um, it's been re, uh, redone. Philip has done this this week. Uh, and this is a work in progress. It probably is not going to end up like this, but I wanted to um, explain this. This is the plan of, that came down from God of how this is going to work. <laughs> no, we're praying and fasting and seeking God about this, but there's something about this that I think, represents what we've been talking about over the last few days or last few weeks that um, Jesus we want Jesus to be at the center of our church we're going to talk lots about Jesus this year we're going to talk about how Jesus is affecting everything we do and how and we're going to be asking you lots of times how are you becoming more like Jesus how are you moving and following him what's changed in your life where's he calling you how are you doing that how can we help you do that 
and we're going to uh, have lots of movement around this Jesus and how are you uh, becoming more like him. Uh, we want to help others that yet don't know Jesus come into a place where they, that Jesus becomes the center of their lives and we help them become uh, followers of Jesus as well. Um, but as we've said, this foundation of growing disciples, caring for people and reaching the world, we've got uh, growing disciples we see is the, is the key thing in seeing this sort of vine growth and flourishing. Um, but what did Jesus do? He didn't just grow his 12 people, did he? What did he do? How did he do that? He took them into the world and he showed them how to care for, and this is important, to care for each other. They cared a lot for each other, but also to care for the sick, the hurting, the needy and the broken that, that came along their path as well. Um, and then as he did that, he, um, he also reached out into the world. He went to all the ends of Samaria and, and, and the, the, with his disciples. And then as he sends his disciples off, he goes, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to reach out into the world um, with this message that I have left with you. But the interesting thing he does as he's doing that, as he's caring for people, what's he doing? He's growing disciples. As he's growing disciples, what's he doing? He's always pointing them back to himself. Uh, as the disciples are growing, he's also getting them to reach the world. And as they're reaching the world, they're also caring for people. And in all of these, they're always being pointed back to Jesus as well. And so there's this constant movement uh, around these things and around Jesus. Uh, and we see these three things are the core of the way Jesus uh, did his discipleship and his ministry. Uh, it's probably going to get a little bit simpler than that because it's a little bit complicated at the moment. But I just wanted to get you this idea that there's movement around Jesus and there's some key things that we want to uh, focus on and see uh, happen in our midst so that we can become all that God has uh, called us to be. I want to f finish up with... Why did we do the reno? Why did I do the reno? And I did, I did have a line here, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, that's not why I did it. It's not. Did I do it so that I could have a really nice house to talk about, to show people? To show, show up the neighbours? Did I do it so that we could have groups that would come and or talk about our house? <laughs> Explore the process of how we got there, why it was there? And that's not why we did it. Part of the reason we did the reno or the, is actually to see our family flourish. It's actually for the good of our family <laughs> and that our family works better in this, this place it's a place where we can invite people and do hospitality. It's a place that we can actually function better. When you've got two bathrooms and teenagers, you know that? When you've got two living areas that can sort of work, and, and these are not bad things. We're not trying to separate. They're, they're just practical things that actually allow our family to flourish. It's purpose, actually. The purpose is really to see our family grow. And I think that's what I've got to have at the heart of it. <laughs> and if I was to go even further, the, the heart of it is actually is, it's because Jesus. You know, how does Jesus interact with this? Jesus wants my family to, he wants my family to look more like him. 
And yes, do we do it perfect? No, I don't do it perfect. <laughs> There's probably all sorts of sin and wrong motivation and stuff like that. But actually, if I get to the heart of why I would do that, it actually gets back to Jesus and wanting to see my family be what he wants it to be. To use his kingdom resources for his glory in my family, in my life, and for anyone who comes into our home. So why are we doing all this stuff about the rebuild around moving people in following Christ? Because we want to see this place flourish. We want to see people becoming passionate followers of Jesus. We want to see new people becoming passionate followers of Jesus. We want to see this place be a place of unbelievable supernatural love that floors those who are living in it and for those who come into it. We want this to be a place that displays Jesus to anyone that's in it or comes into it. So that it can be the place where God lives with his people and makes himself known to them and to the world. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you build your church. You mould it, you shape it, you gift it, you empower it. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a vision in your word of what you want your church to be. We thank you that you've laid on our hearts again this rebuild around moving people in following Christ. That you've reminded us again the purpose of your church is to see passionate followers of Jesus reaching out to the world with his love, his grace, helping grow other passionate followers of, leaders, uh, uh, followers of Jesus so that they can do the same. And so, Lord, this year as... As your people, Lord, as we've all been gifted with different roles and different responsibilities, we pray that we would work together for the glory of your name. That we would work together to see you displayed in this place. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come on us with power. That the fruit that you have promised would rise up within us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come upon us and gift us. That as we operate in your gifts, that we would see this place flourish. And whether that be gifts of leadership, teaching, praying, healing, hospitality, administration. Lord, that we would work in your power and for your glory to see this place display you to the world. So, Holy Spirit, come upon us and make us more like Jesus. Make us more like Jesus as individuals and collectively as your church. We pray that as we do so, you would be glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together and participate in this supernatural activity, which is worshipping God.
ask the Holy Spirit now to speak to us as we sing and as we uh, bring him glory uh, through this song.